0: I'm not pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work at home edition. So I've been doing a series where I interview uh, members of the Council of Colors. And I interviewed white, blue, black, red, and green. So you think I'd be done, but I'm not. There's a sixth member. So uh, Benjamin Whites is here to talk about colorless. Hey, Ben.
1: Hey, how's it going, Mark?
0: Okay, so let's, let's start with the first question. What exactly is the colorless member. What What do you do?
1: Well, I am sort of in charge of reading over the colorless cards when we review them. Um, you know, all of our sets have plenty of colorless cards to sort of support decks where, um, you know, with more generic creatures maybe, or maybe there's like exciting artifacts or vehicles and stuff. And, uh, you know, those cards don't fall into any particular color. Uh, and so you know, part of my job on the team is looking at those and making sure that they're appropriate for Magic and that, um, you know, we don't get too much, like, ubiquity, for example, of a single card.
0: Yeah, so one of the interesting things about colorless, and so you're, you you were on the play design team, um, and it wasn't mm-hmm. a mistake that we, we made you the colorless person. Um, real quickly for the audience, we tend to use the colorless position as the entry-level, like, learn the color pipe... Council, you know, council colors. It's it's an intro position a lot of times, but um, we consciously decided that we wanted to get a play designer in this role because of how important colors is to rate. So, we, we, can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, one of the most important parts of like my job as the colors color pack counselor is making sure that the colors cards are at an appropriate rate. Uh, so, what that means basically is you know making sure that the, the pure stats or the pure mana value on the card doesn't outshine uh, cards in other colors. So, like for example, you know if the best creature around is a colorless creature, um, what that means is that it just means every deck plays that creature, right? And you don't get the variety or um, the like different kinds of experiences that we want people to have when they play Magic. Um, So it's important for me to be able to look at a card and be like, oh, well, this is like, you know, the the strongest, um, you know, two drop that we've printed in a long time. So like, you know, we need to tone it down a little bit here so that we don't get every single deck playing this two drop or whatever. Um, And I think my my history on the play design team sort of gives me a unique perspective into that thing because you know, or that aspect because we look at all the cards basically and we test their strengths and we balance them and stuff like that. And so, uh, I think people, yeah, my, I was, I was really happy to be added as the Colors color pack Counselor because I felt that I was going to be able to help out a lot. Um, just having an eye for, you know, this card has too much top one too many toughness or one too many power or whatever, you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Usually I think the key is, and this is why you have to know the color, the colors really well is that whenever you look at a card, you have to say, okay, what color is supposed to be the worst at it, and then how does this compare to that
1: color? Right, exactly. And, you know, some colors are allowed to be better than the worst color at things, right? Like, or times students say colorless is allowed to be better than the worst color at things sometimes, right? Like, we've printed colorless three ones for two, um, even though those are, like, more aggressive than we might do in you know, for example, blue or something like that. Um, but it's important, it is very important that it's not the, like, better than what the best color can do, right? Because I should I should have a reason to play red or I should have a reason to play white. Um, and the reason to do that is because I can have the most aggressive two-drop or the, or the best two-drop or whatever. I shouldn't be like, well, I don't even need to go and put red in my deck if I want to be aggressive because I can just play a Zenith Chronicler or, or whatever, is a card from one. So um,
0: can we, th- let's get a practical example. So let's talk about like you see a card, what's the kind of, let's give an example of a note you would give. So you're looking at a file, you look at the colorless cards, what's the kind of note you would give?
1: Um. So some of the notes I've given in the past is like maybe there's a very cheap artifact that like mills you some amount on ETB. Um, and, you know, self-mill is supposed to be a specific strength of, uh, some of the colors. Um, and so I might look at this cheap artifact and be like, oh, wow, this card is like really strong at milling you, but like much better than most of the creatures or most of the spells that we would make in these other colors. Then that would be like a red flag for me. I would, I would say to the, I would leave a note on the, on the set file or speak to the, um, the lead and say like, Hey, uh you know, this card is performing its function at like too high of a rate um, as compared to, you know, the other colors where this is supposed to be their strength. Um, You know, please uh, either reallocate the power so that it's not like doing this thing so efficiently or, um, you know, make it more expensive or something like that. Uh, That's often something I'll see. Um, another question I get a lot is sort of like what power and toughnesses are appropriate for colorless creatures. Um, and so that's something I've thought about a while, like for a long time, you know, I think that we weren't really happy with printing like a colorless two, two for two. I think the first time we did it was in like Amonkhet or something, like without a drawback. There's one in Kaladesh that has a drawback, but, uh. Yeah, so, like, that sort of question of, oh, how how good are colorless creatures supposed to be? Like, those are are notes that I'll often leave in files. Um, Yeah, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about how that we do make colorless cards that are better than the worst color, but we're careful when we do it and how we do it. And, you know, so, like, I think we think it's okay that if I'm really bad at something, that I could look at colorless
1: as a way to help me out. Yeah. You you should be able to be you know, you should we want to make the colorless cards still attractive for someone, right? Like uh we don't want everyone to hate all the colorless cards. So they should have a reason. They can they can perform functions better than some colors, but they should never perform them the best of all the colors, right? So like, you know, I I, I can go to a colorless card if I want to um you know, get uh, a sort of unique effect. So I guess one that, that comes to mind is like Maze Mind Tome. So like Maze Mind Tome is a cultist card that draws cards, um, and a lot of decks have looked to Maze Mind Tome for like card advantage, um, and that's cool, that's good. But you know, those we don't want like we want blue decks and blue card draw to be stronger than what Maze Mind Tome would be, so that you're like, okay, if I want to play card advantage, I have a reason to go play blue, like. I This is one of blue strengths, and in order to use that strength, I need to use the color blue in my deck. It's okay if I want to get the, that part of the game, this card advantage part of the game, at like a lower efficiency rate. Maybe my red-white midrange, you know, there's reasons I want, might want to play red-white midrange or whatever, and if I do that, I want to have something I can go to, um, but it just shouldn't be the strongest thing around.
0: Okay, so I want to get into a common misconception that I want to sort of address so there's some people that like to think of colorless as the sixth color, um, and I always like to stress the my the way I always say this is, uh, you know, barefoot is not a shoe. Uh, <laughs> colorless is the app is the absence of color, and so um, let's talk a little bit about like, is there an identity to colorless?
1: Not really. Like colorless, like you said, it's not a color. It has no guiding philosophy right? Uh, You know, with white, you get stuff like community and togetherness and, you know, black is like selfish or, um, you know, self-motivated. Colorless doesn't really have any of that. There's no, you know, when you talk about characters, you wouldn't, there's not a lot of characters that you would say, oh, this is a colorless person. Um, So it's not really associated with any, any philosophies or any temperaments or anything like that. It's more sort of like Everything exists in, like, a colorless sphere as long as it's at the appropriate, like, efficiency level.
0: Yeah, the way I like to think of it is a lot of the colors are about sort of philosophical things, and the colorless is a little more about utility, meaning the things we most often do at colorless are things we want everybody to have access to, like like Limited, for example, is a good place. Like, a lot of common colorless cards are, like, oh, it's important for this limited environment that all the colors have
1: access to this thing. Yeah, exactly. So, like, little, like, helper creatures, like the, the things that help you scry when you play them, for example, uh, lets, lets you play games of magic, lets you fill out your curve uh, a little better. Um, mana fixing is something we often put it colorless, but, of course, note that all the colorless mana fixing we do with, like, mana rocks and stuff, we, like, want it to be weaker than green, uh, who you know has mana fixing as like a core strength of of that color? Um, yeah, definitely. Like colorless is like the utility and like the the objects of the world. I guess. I think. Mm-hmm. I think in the past, colorless used to have more of an identity as oh, these are magical artifacts that people use. But now we tend to associate those magical artifacts with their color in whatever function that they do. Like we make a lot of colored artifacts. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that's been part of the, like, part of the shift, I guess.
0: So here's another thing, is what do we not let colorless do? Like, what's kind of sort of off-limits for colorless?
1: Yeah, um, I would say nothing is, like, truly off-limits. Like, if you're willing to pay enough mana, I think you can do almost anything. Like, we've even printed some very narrow colorless counter spells in the past, which is maybe one of the effects that we're most careful with, uh, uh, widening its color scope. but one thing like one aspect that we make sure to to shy away from is um, we sh- we should not undermine the weaknesses of certain colors with uh, efficient colorless cards. Um, so naturalized effects, you know you like as long as you pay enough mana, you can do it, but we shouldn't do it at a rate where blue is suddenly like, oh great, now I can remove permanence from the battlefield easily because of this colorless card like that's something we really want to shy away from
0: um yeah let, let's talk about the line so um cuz this is the most one of the most famous ones so we long ago drew a line in the sand saying okay we'll let colors things destroy anything but that there there's a, like there's a limit there's a mana limit we had to set it at you want to talk about that
1: yeah so uh seven mana has usually been the like number so If you can think of like universal solvent from I think Aether Revolt or Kaladesh. More recently, Goblin. I don't remember the name. It's a card from Brothers War, but uh, you know, it's a little trinkety artifact that you play, and then you can pay seven mana to destroy something, or like Scour from existence is a seven mana spell where you can destroy something. That's sort of like the mana line that that we've set. Um, It's like you can you can do this, but only for you know only if you are at least this inefficient. Um, and there's like a similar sort of line for like a lot of different effects in colorless, and sort of part of my job is um, setting, drawing, and like hold holding that line, and also knowing when to when it's appropriate to change it, right? Because like magic, magic evolves and changes over time, and these lines are going to move over time. Um, but sort of figuring out when the appropriate time it is to relax a little bit, and when uh, when it is to to step to hold fast rather.
0: Yeah, in some ways, I think a lot of your job is knowing where the line is and then bringing it
1: up when we cross the line. hmm Yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. Like, a lot of the... You know, not everyone in the building is as, like, immersed in the color pie as all of us, and especially not in, like, oh, what's the exact amount of mana that we want to be charging for what effect? And so, you know, like, people will put cards into files all the time that are like, oh, you know, this is like a little a little too, too efficient or a little too much and, you know, flagging those and either asking them to be changed or if there's like a very good reason for them existing, we like discuss as a group and like uh, talk about, okay, what sort of modifications can we make to this? Because like maybe the solution is, maybe it's important that it costs uh, a lower amount of mana and the solution is, okay, instead of killing anything, maybe it just like kills some of these permanent types. Um, so like, from Strixhaven, there's the five mana, exile target creature um, lesson, mm-hmm. uh, and that card was like pretty important to that format. Um, it is obviously like a lower mana value than seven, but it only hits creatures and it has a drawback. So you know, there's all these sorts of knobs and changes we can add to effects if we need to um, reduce the mana value. But uh, like we 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 want to find that design that makes sense for that set. Okay, so let's talk
0: about another aspect. Um, there are other things you look at that actually do have some color in them. Uh, and let me let me talk about stuff like prototype. So sometimes there's things that you can cast for colorless, you know, or for generic mana, but they have a cost that has color in it. So let's talk about how do you evaluate stuff like prototype?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, usually for prototype, it's just... I only have to look at the half of the card that costs colorless mana. Um, obviously, some power of the card comes from the colored half of it. But if you're playing the colored half of it, that means you're playing lands of that color, and so it's not really a question of the, the colorless power anymore. So for me, I would like mostly just monitored the expensive halves of the prototype cards, um, and so you know, like Steel Serif, I guess is the closest one. Uh, this is the one I remember talking about the most as like a flying lifelink creature. Um, it has the potential to like act as a Baneslayer Angel type card for like other colors other than white. Um, and so that was a card I really had my eye on, but I, I was, I was quite happy with like where we landed on that card. Uh, it has like lifelink only on your turn, basically. Um, or, like, there's some, you know, it's not as good at blocking as Bane Slayer Angel and stuff like that. Uh, but it has, like, a lot more power than Bane Slayer Angel if you're pay- playing white mana, because you can cast it for three. So, yeah. There's now, also, like... go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, there's also occasionally cards where you can, like, cast their alternate... They have, like, an alternate colorless mode. This happens a lot less often these days, but um, every once in a while there's a card that, like, you don't have to pay mana for that, like, does something um out of the graveyard maybe and so those i have to kind of be careful about as well and review those and often i'll say something like oh can you add if you control a mountain or sacrifice a mountain or something to the cost of the of the card so maybe like you know the the evoke elementals from mh2 are a good example where you have to have a card of that card's color right to play solitude you have to have uh, exile a white card from your hand
0: yeah you bring up a good point that Um, I I think we we tend to think of things with generic mana costs or colorless mana costs, Um, but also there's like, oh, I have a card that has an alternate cost that you could spend the alternate cost rather than the mana, or I have something like Frexian mana where, right, I can pay life rather than the mana. You also have to look at things, I mean, I know you sort of look at anything that says, hey, can I, without using colored mana, can I get this, can I play this?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I have to be careful about all that sort of stuff, and, and sort of it's part of my job to review those cards and files. Um, yeah, Phyrexian Mana is probably the biggest example of, uh, you know, a color pie break in the in the early days of Magic. Like, I would say Dismember is one of the bigger colorless color pie breaks. Yeah. giving access to other colors a very efficient removal spell. And, you know, when we brought Phyrexian mana back, we were, like, a lot more, you know, cautious about it. You'll, the, all the Planeswalkers have colored mana symbols in addition to their Phyrexian mana, so yeah, but uh, that wasn't really something I had to worry about.
0: Quick behind-the-scenes behind from New Phyrexia. Um, when we first pitched the idea of, of the Phyrexian mana, one of the things that I really tried to stress at the time was you have to think of these, like, artifacts... And you have to make sure that they're costed such that if you're not paying the colored mana, it acts like an artifact. And that just got ignored.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> they're like, thank you for your, uh, for your input. Okay, so I want, there's another topic I want to bring up, which is an interesting... Uh, I'm curious to get your take on this. This is an ongoing discussion in the Council of Colors. So the question is, if a color can do something or not, how often does rate play into that? Like, how often is it important that the color could do it at a certain rate? Um, one of the classic examples is, is Swords to Plowshares in White's Color Pie? In the sense right. that so, White can do what Swords to Plowshares does, but can it do it at the rate it, like, is there a point at which rate makes you break Color Pie?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that there is. So in magic we want colors to have certain core strengths right and when color like colors share mechanical space where like white and black are both very good at killing things but they should be good at killing things in different ways and if white gets too strong a way to kill something that like steps on black's toes that can be like a color pie break in my opinion so, like, Swords to Plowshares is, like, probably the strongest pinpoint removal spell ever made. Um, and, you know, that's something that in newer Magic we would prefer to reserve for Black cards. And so we try to make try to give, like, Black the strongest pinpoint removal spells. Obviously, we can't go back in time and change Swords to Plowshares. But printing Swords to Plowshares in, like, a standard legal set would, I think, be considered a color pipe break in terms of the like, format-level color pie, where we want, you know, green to be strong at big mana and ramp and black to be strong at killing things and white to be have, like, the best go-wide small creature strategies, you know. Th- this is not an exhaustive list or anything like that, but I, basically we want to preserve those core strengths.
0: I, I think one of the things, the reason I bring this up is a lot of times when people are making cards, you know, outside of the console colors, there, there's really, like, this color can or can't do this thing, and then they will push cards to make them good and not realize that you... Like, there's a point at which you make something good enough that you are breaking the color pie, even though the color can do that.
1: Yeah. So, like, the way I like to think about it, I guess, is cards have multiple axes of power level. um, And we want cards of a color to have the majority of their power level along the axes that are like associated with their color. Um So it's hard to like come up with an example off the top of my head, but like you can think of a card that is both like a card advantage card and a um creature or something like that. We want, you know, if it's green, we want the most powerful part of the card to be along the creature axis, right? Green has cantrip creatures, um, but it should, like, those creatures should be, like, big or strong or something like that. If it's blue, then the power level should be along, like, the evasion axis or maybe more along the card advantage axis, right? So, like, maybe, like, you know, blue gets three mana, one, one flyer, ETB cantrip, um, but green would get, like, big creature cantrip. And so the but like at a more expensive mana value, like four mana three, three cantrip. So you see those the power of those cards is like distributed along different axes of the card, uh more associated with their color, even though they're sort of the same card design.
0: Right. It, right. The, the, for example, the way to think of it is so much power goes to creature and so much power goes to card drawing, and where are you allocating it?
1: What what makes it a strong card? Mm-hmm. So it's less about like what those colors can or can't do. And it's more about how you're allocating the power level along those different, um, axes.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things, uh, the reason I think the colorless position is, a, in some ways the hardest, I mean, there, there's the least number of cards to look at, I guess, but, um, is there's a lot of nuance in sort of what colors can and can't do and power level and c- power level between colors. Um, It's a, I mean, it's a very complicated, you know, issue.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I need to know a lot more than just what does colorless do? Because, I mean, like, sort of as we talked about, colorless does everything. (laughs) It just does it all a little bit worse. (laughs) So, yeah, it's definitely hard because just keeping the, being so, like, rate conscious and knowing the, like, ordering of stuff is, yeah, very nuanced.
0: Okay, so I, I want to talk two other things now. Um, one is, is there any difference um, between artifacts and just colorless
1: spells? Hmm, yes. Are You mean like colorless permanent spells? Or Yeah, yeah,
0: so the, the, for between artifacts that have a generic cost versus color, just things that aren't artifacts that are just colorless things, I mean Eldrazi is the most associated with it but we've done other stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference for your purposes? Is there a difference between that or not really?
1: Um there's sort of a difference because art like we've done a lot of like artifacts matters over the year. So like artifacts are sort of inherently more powerful. We haven't really done a ton of like colorless matters over the years. Like when we do it's usually Eldrazi of some kind. Um so being an artifact affects the affects your rate to some extent. Um so that matters for me. Beyond that, I mean it'll like it doesn't matter a ton. I would for me it just it matters. Did you have to pay colored mana to get access to this thing? No, then we're gonna have to make sure it, it properly follows the rules of colorless cards. Okay, which then brings us to colorless
0: mana. So not generic mana, but actual colorless mana. Like um uh, that, like bot seer. yeah. Stuff, something in which you specifically have to spend colorless mana as a cost. Um, it, it showed up. What was the set? Uh, the Eldrazi set. Um, both of the gate. Both of the Gatewatch introduced it. Um, how, do, how, how do you how do you judge that? What? what how much? Uh, how does colorless stuff get treated different than generic?
1: So that is a great question, and the answer is it's somewhat ongoing conversation. Um, it's something I've been thinking about. I think it matters a non-zero amount where, you know, having to play literal colorless mana is an actual cost as opposed to oh, I can just put this card in my red blue deck, because having lands that produce actual colorless mana is a like is a downside. So it should buy you something. It could, because it it pushes against the like ubiquity of colorless cards, which is what I like. I would be uh, so afraid of. So it definitely buys you something. I think it depends on how many colorless mana symbols there are. Like, I think the first colorless mana symbol is mostly free and doesn't really matter very much. But, like, once you get into two or three, now we start saying, like, oh, you can do some pretty weird stuff if you're willing to actually play a true colorless deck. Um, yeah, I it's the sort of thing where I wouldn't want it to push into any, like really core strengths of any colors still but i think you can be like a little more efficient than you would otherwise get uh-huh. like there's a card for both of the gate watch which costs one and a colorless and gives target creature plus three minus three that card you know it's not really stronger than lightning strike um it's not really that much stronger at killing things uh than a lot of black cards that we would make but it's stronger than like a normal colorless card that we would make like it's stronger than like a two mana artifact that we would make mm-hmm. um and i think that that's okay like i think that card landed pretty well it saw some play when it was legal and standard um as just like a removal spell that you could put in your colorless deck uh that's the kind of power that i think it sort of buys you where it's like still noticeably weaker than the best options but a little bit stronger than we would normally do
0: okay so i'm i'm almost uh, to my desk here so my last question for you is: Any final sort of thoughts about being the colorless? Like anything we haven't talked about that sort of an interesting aspect of this this role?
1: Um, navigating high mana value colorless stuff is very fun because it usually gets really weird and really powerful because. It's nice to make, like, when you have a colorless card, it's nice for it not to just be like, oh, this card could be blue. You know, it's nice for it to do something cool and unique. Um, And so a lot of the normal cards that we make will fall neatly into a color and we'll just make them in that color or whatever. But some of the expensive colorless cards can get really wild and it's kind of fun to read them.
0: (laughs) The other thing that we get to do in colorless is we can mix and match things that don't naturally go in one color.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: that comes up
1: sometimes.
0: I mean, although, sometimes we do that in multicolor, obviously, but you we can make weird things that just sort of no one color would do this, but we let colors
1: do some stuff like that. Yeah, I think for the nuts and bolts colorless cards, we usually keep them pretty simple. Um, we're talking, about rare, we're talking the, about
0: rare, expensive, rare cards. I wasn't. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. For the you know for the Eldrazi Titans of the world or whatever, you, you can get really wild.
0: Well, I want to thank you. Um, i don't think like i said i i think when people think about the color pie that they think a lot about the five colors um but the fact that there really is this whole other aspect that we have to worry about um i, I like i said when i started this you and i talked about it you 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 weren't even sure whether i was going to interview you You're like oh, of course i want to interview you, yeah. you know i, I like <laughs> I, I know the public doesn't think of there being this sixth position but it, it it does exist and it's an important position um so um so i thank you for and like i said it's it is, a, a a lot of ways, a tireless task, because you're just always trying to, you know, think of things that other people just aren't thinking about, because it's very, it's very tangential sometimes to how the rest of the discussions go. Yeah, for sure. But it is, it's been well, then, fun. Yeah, sorry, go
1: ahead. I was just going to say thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: oh, you're welcome. No, no, I I, uh, I I want, part of doing the series was, I want the players to realize, like, how much thought goes into the color pie, and, you know, it, it's neat to have uh, people that are, like, really focused on just one aspect of it. Um, it's kind of like, for example, when you direct something, it's nice that you have actors that are, like, all they think about is that character. And that they come up with things that no one else will think of because they're very invested in that character. Um, and I feel like Color Pie is really similar in that... You know, I'm, I oversee the team, but I'm thinking in very broad strokes. And then I'll talk to each color, and they're like, they're really, really thinking about how their color, what matters for their color. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Or their non color. Or their lack of color. Of in, yeah, in your case. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Ben, for being with us. It was a lot of fun. I hope you guys, everyone, learned all about uh, what it means to be the colorless person. So thank you, Ben.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mark.
0: And to everybody else, uh, I am at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means at the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.